Just when I think that I've come up with a message that they will not be able to find a song for, they come and find that. We'll see how that plays in. Well, uh, a little over five years ago, a British company came up with an idea that they hoped would revolutionize your music listening habits, something that they called solo. Uh, the concept was you would come home after a long, tiring day at work, and you'd walk up to this machine on your wall that looked kind of like a clock uh, with a little display of a cartoon face in the center, and the machine would take a picture of your face and then it would assess your mood based on what your face looked like in that moment. Now here's where the music part comes in. It would play a song that would match your mood or even start to make you feel better. Uh, if you were down, a catchy peppy song might come on, might cheer you up. The idea was to essentially create a radio that determined what, it's play, what it played based on its assessment of your mood. Now, this company started in 2017. Uh, today, six years later, it does not exist anymore. No one wanted to buy an artificial intelligence device that would read your mood and play music to cheer you up. But that doesn't mean that mood radio is not still a thing. In fact, this week I pulled up a website called moodmusic.radio, and here's what it is. It's simply eight pictures of, of, of emoticons on a website representing eight different moods. Romantic, happy, energized, reflective, heartbroken, sad, angry, and blue. And you pull up the website, and you click what mood you are feeling, what mood you're in, and it will play some music that goes with your mood. And I thought that we would try something today. I'm going to play some music I heard on the website, and you tell me what mood station that it was on, okay? What mood it goes with. Sounds good? So let's try this. Let's try the first one. All right, what does that go with? Happy. Happy. That is the easiest one. The song is named after the mood. Okay, let's, let's make it a little bit harder. How about this one? Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. All right, what station do you think I heard that on? Sad, right, sad, right. Although it could have been one of the others, blue maybe. Or All right, how about this one? All right, what, 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 what station do you think that was? Angry, yes, that was Alanis at her angriest. Okay, uh, and, and one more, let's do this one. All right, what station was that? <laughs> Romantic or energized? It just depends on how you approach that. All right, you did very well. Maybe the reason that the solo device never took off is because it is just as easy for you to select mood music yourself, right? And I don't want an artificial intelligence device to cheer me up. In fact, sometimes when I am sad, I wanna hang out in my sad a little bit. I don't want music that's gonna cheer me up. And sometimes my face looks sad when it's just reflective. I have what they call a resting reflective face. And, uh, <laughs> Maybe it is best if I choose my own music. Uh, that said, there is something to this, isn't there? Music does affect our mood. 
Uh, researchers analyzed more than 150,000 pop songs that were released between 1965 and 2015. And what, what word do you think appears most in pop songs over those 50 years? Or really what concept, if you had to guess? Love, exactly, love, love makes sense. That's, that's what people tend to write pop songs about. All right, would you believe over those 50 years, the appearance of the word love in top 100 hits was cut in half? And in the same time frame, negative emotion words like hate rose sharply, which means that our music is doing a better job at reflecting our honest moods. In other words, we always had love and hate. Now we just don't mind singing about it. Or is it possible our music helps put us in a mood? Now, why does any of this matter, and where are we going on this in a series we've been in on discernment and wisdom and decision-making? Why do moods matter? Because moods affect our decisions. Like, when you are in an excited mood or an anticipatory mood, there is very little that comes across your path that you will say no to. When you are in a, a, a flustered mood or a preoccupied mood, all you will say is no. Every little request someone makes feels like way too much. When you are in an angry mood, you are more likely to snap at people or say things that you regret. When you're in a tired mood or a lazy mood, it can be hard to even get off your couch. Um, just to prove what I'm talking about, have you ever gone into a store needing help and it seems like the staff has no interest in serving you? They're on their phone, they're talking with each other behind the counter, maybe they can't even be found and you get the sense that they're just not in the mood to deal with customers. And then, have you gone into that same store 10 minutes before closing and you watched how efficient they are all of a sudden and how quick, how motivated they are to help you to get you out of there fast? Why? So that they can go home. Yeah, that is mood affecting their decisions. And actually, this thing we've got up on the screen, you could do this backwards, couldn't you? What you decide affects your mood. Even what people tweet affects or reveals their mood. Somebody studied Twitter users and they found an interesting pattern. Humans tend to be happy at breakfast time, not so happy at midday, and then happy again near bedtime. They analyzed 509 million tweets from 84 countries around the globe, and they found in all of those countries, moods fluctuate in a predictable pattern. On weekdays, between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., people are positive, and then it starts to decline steadily, and it gets to its low between 3 p.m. and 4 p.m., your mood does, and then it starts to rise again around 4 p.m. and peaks after dinner. Um, on weekends, the same thing happens. It just starts later, around 9 a.m., because you can sleep in a little bit. And what I want to make sure to tell you today is that it is all good. It is okay that you have moods, even negative moods. It is okay that you are moody, those of you who are. Uh, you can nudge the person next to you if that's them. It's okay for you to dwell in a mood. It's okay for you to want to escape the mood every so often. But where our moods go wrong is when they lead us into bad choices. Things that feel right in the moment because of our mood. Ask anybody who's living a life driven by mood, and they'll tell you it's led them astray more often than not, and sometimes it's severely complicated their world. For example, the person who was led by the thrilling mood of an affair and made decisions that wrecked their family. 
or the person whose job wasn't fun anymore, and so they left it for another job, and then that job wasn't fun, and so they left it for another job, and it, it led to a long season of instability. Or the teenager who bought into pressure to fit in, and they sent one nude picture to somebody they thought was safe, and then regretfully watched it spread all over the school. Or the person who was just in a mood to relax, and so they took a quick pill, and then they did it again, and then they did it again, and they somehow became an unintentional addict. While it is okay to feel our moods and hang in our moods, when our moods affect our choices, it can ruin our lives. And the Bible gives us something that we can choose over moods to determine how we will act. And I want to talk about that with you today. Something so much better that we can choose. Choose this, not your mood. Let me show you Proverbs 16.3. This is not the only passage we're going to spend time in today, but it's an important one for what we're talking about right now. Take a look. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Now, different versions of the Bible translate this differently. Some say, commit to the Lord the things you do. Uh, some say, commit to the Lord your ways. What doesn't matter so much is how you translate that part, whatever you do. Ways, things you do, we get it. What matters is this word, commit. Commit to the Lord your ways, and he will establish your plans. We're talking today about what you can choose when it comes to your mood, what you can choose over your mood, and what this passage says, you can choose commitment. Would you say commitment with me? Commitment. Let's talk about that word. Um, at first glance, you would think commit here might, might mean to give something over to God, to give him control. Uh, you know how sometimes we use the word committed that way? Uh, the best example I can think of is kind of, unfortunately, a scary one. But uh, if I go off the deep end and my wife calls the police and she 5150s me and they take me to the psych ward and they decide to keep me there, she has had me what? Committed. committed. Uh, we use committed that way all the time when we say we're giving control over something to somebody else. So if that's what commit means here, this verse is saying give God control of your ways, of whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Give God control. But commit doesn't just mean that, right? It means commit. It means make a promise. It means make a pledge. So this verse also says, promise your actions to God. Whatever you intend to do, pledge it to God, promise it to God, and he will direct your plans. Not only am I giving something over to God, I am pledging, I'm promising to follow through. This is what commit is all about. So let me ask you a question. How are we at following through on the things we say we're going to do, on the things that we intend to do? If we're honest, I'd say that often we're not so good. Um, I won't ask you to raise your hand, okay? But how many of you have started a landscaping project, any sort of landscaping anywhere in your yard, started it at some point over one year ago, and it's still not done? Um, how many of you have video that you shot on vacation of your family or your friends? Maybe you shot it with your phone, maybe with a GoPro, like you went skiing, you had a GoPro on your helmet, and you were intending to take this footage and make a really cool video with music and send it to the people you vacation with. How many of you shot something over a year ago and you still don't have it edited, never did anything with it? 
All right, here's one. How many of you bought a recipe book on how to use your new Instapot three years ago when they were all the rage at Christmas? And you dog-eared the pages in the recipe book, or the ones you were going to make. You probably dog-eared 15, and so far you've done two, and you haven't pulled your Instapot out again. How many of you during the pandemic picked up an instrument and maybe some books that taught you how to play or some videos, tutorials or something, or you decided to learn a language and there were 25 lessons you had to go through and you got through lesson number 12 and you stopped? I don't know if we are all that good at following through on the things that we intend to do. And while literally none of the ones that I just mentioned matter, where it does matter is when we have intentions with our spouse or intentions with our kids, and intentions with our bosses, and commitments we make to our employees, and commitments we've made to ourselves, and with commitments we've made to God, and we don't keep them. Our commitments about serving, our commitments about tithing, our commitments about prayer. I wonder if we struggle to keep our commitments to promise and actually follow through, or even to just give control over to God. How are you at doing that? Can I show you something in this verse that I just learned this week for the first time? Uh, it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do. He will establish your plans. And I, I read it, and I thought, well, what are the plans? I'm really curious what the Bible means by plans. And so I looked at the Hebrew word for plans here. And you know what it really means? Your thoughts. We read plans and we think, all right, well, my retirement plans, my college plans, my career plans. If I commit to God, whatever I do, God will make sure that my plans work out. But that is not a perfect translation or interpretation. The Hebrew word means thoughts, the, the things that swirl through your mind, the things that affect the way you feel. And actually, Actually, a way that you could understand this Hebrew word or the last half of this verse is that God will establish your moods. Now get this. When Proverbs 16.3 tells us, when you commit to God to do what you're supposed to do, what you intend to do, what he intends you to do, that will put you in a mood. And here's what I hope you hear this morning. We often make the mistake of thinking that our mood should determine what we're going to do. I feel this way, so I'm going to go do this. What we're going to commit to, what we're biting off, mood determines commitment. And Proverbs says we should live out the opposite. Commitment is going to determine your mood. Commit to the Lord. He will establish your mood. And what Proverbs says right there is God created a mood radio for your soul. When you commit whatever you do over to him, when you promise and you pledge your intentions to him, he will establish, he will make strong your plans and your thoughts and your moods. And what I want to tell you this week is that you can make a pre-decision ahead of time. You can pre-decide. That's what we've been doing in this series. You can pre-determine what you will choose when you are in a mood. Once again, okay to be in a mood okay to dwell in a mood, to hang out in it, to savor in it a little bit, but you can choose to give in to the mood and let it determine your decisions, or you can let your commitments determine your mood. And I want to challenge you to resolve something today. It's what we've been doing this series. Resolve, I will let my commitments determine my decisions before I let my moods determine my decisions. I'm choosing commitment over mood. Now, 
Let's talk about why this works. Why does it work for me to let my commitments determine my decisions instead of my moods? And more curiously, how in the world does God see my commitments and use them somehow to establish my thoughts or really to change my moods? How does that happen? Well, let me read to you the other passage that I want to show you today. And then I'm going to give you three reasons why this works for God to use our commitments. All right. So Psalm 121, let's look at it together. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. That's a short psalm, and what it talks about is God keeping us. The reason that God can establish your thoughts when you make and keep commitments to him is because God is your keeper. All right, when I hear keeper, I think of a zoo, right? Don't we all? Don't we think of zookeepers? And uh, it's not a terrible parallel. Um, What does a zookeeper do? They feed the animals, they clean up after the animals, they train the animals, maybe they provide uh, enrichment activities for the animals, they keep an eye on the health of the animals, they keep other things from bothering or attacking their animals. All right, three months ago in England, two men broke into a zoo. Uh, In the middle of the night, they they cut the fence so that they could get into this zoo, and they threw a beer bottle at a giraffe. Uh, The next morning, the zookeepers found gashes on the legs of the giraffe, uh, not because the men put the gashes there, but because the giraffes were so scared of these guys throwing things that they started banging on the doors of their pen all night, trying to get out so it could escape whatever the, 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 the men were throwing at it. Um, Then they found that the tigers were showing signs of distress. And they went to the tiger habitat, and the zookeepers found another bottle and a bunch of rocks and a a, a stick that is not usually there, a big stick. And then they went to the penguin habitat. Somebody had turned the pool filter off, and the penguins showed anxiety. I bet you didn't know penguins could show anxiety. Now you know that. Apparently they can. What I'm saying is all the animals had some sort of mood shift. Something had affected their mood the night before. And so the zookeepers wondered what happened after hours. And do you know how they found out? Because the dudes who did this stuff filmed it and put it on Snapchat. How stupid do you have to be to put your crime on Snapchat? Uh, The men were arrested. They were prosecuted. Let's talk about what a keeper does. They guard and they protect and they observe and they pay attention. And when they keep an animal, they don't just feed it. They protect it from the things that would affect its thoughts and its heart and its body. They try to establish a healthy mood among the animals. Now, these ones in England failed. Bad security at night. But this passage, let's take a look again, says that unlike the keepers of the zoo who go home at night, our keeper does not sleep. Verse three, he who watches over you will not slumber. And why does this matter that you have a keeper? And how does that have anything to do with your commitment and and, and your moods? And, and, And what does God even do as a keeper to establish your thoughts and your plans and your moods? Well, let me show you these three things. The first, it said in verse three, your keeper, God, 
will not let your foot slip. All right, have you ever walked on a hillside or a path made of, of kind of slippery rock, wants to slide out from underneath you, and you know that it's a little bit treacherous, and so you, you very carefully put your feet exactly where you think they ought to go, the spots that look most stable, least slippery, but inevitably, if you're like me, even though I commit my foot to this certain space, my foot finds itself slipping and sliding with the dirt and the rocks. Okay, the psalmist says here, your foot, your keeper will not let your foot be moved. It will not slip. And what that means is God empowers you to stay committed. When your environment would cause you to slip, God will not let your foot be moved. All right, if you feel like you would love to commit to things, but you have a life full of half-kept promises and half-done projects, God says, if you commit to me, if you let me be the keeper that I can be, I will empower you to keep your commitments. Um, a few years back, I, I read an article about a group of people in Washington, D.C. called the Quitters Club. Uh, the founder, this guy named Justin Cannon, had quit all sorts of things, uh, filmmaking and music, graphic design. And he said, uh, let me just read what he said. He said that he was tortured by the dueling forces of grand ambition and intense self-doubt. And he said more often than not, that left him frozen and despondent. And so at one point, he became so exasperated, he said, we should have a group for people who want to give up on their dreams I will call it the Quitters Club, and we'll sit around and we'll talk about how we cannot follow through on our hopes and our dreams. And he was, he was joking, but a friend said, you know, that's actually it's a really good idea. So a few days later, he took action. He posted a note on meetup.com for this new group, and he thought it might just be him and his friend. Within 48 hours, 35 people had signed up. And for two hours at their first meeting, one after another, people expressed their dreams in their inability to make any progress. Okay, you ready for what happened? The people in the group, as they listened to each other, started encouraging each other to persevere. The actress who showed up, they, they told her, you should give it a hard push for a year before tossing out your dreams of making it on the stage. Uh, the unhappy Washingtonian who was ready to leave the city, they said, you should look for a new job before you give up on this town. The writer whose day job was getting in the way of her artistic pursuits. You should carve out time each day to keep writing. Do not stop writing. One of the people said, here we are at Quitters Club, and we're all encouraging each other to keep going. Um, the writer of the article that I read wrote this. They will meet again the following month to continue in their quest to help people quit, or as it turns out, to keep on trying. That group is a perfect metaphor for what God does in you as your keeper when the Bible tells us he will not let your foot slip. You may be afraid to commit because you're afraid your foot's gonna slip and you won't keep your commitment. And what God says, I know you're gonna have stuff go on that makes you feel like giving up, that puts you in a mood, one that's gonna cause you to make a bad decision. But if you commit to me, I will empower you to keep your commitments. I can keep your foot from slipping. I can empower you in such a way. Your mood changes, and you want to keep trying. All right, let me show you the second thing God does to establish your thoughts. It's in verse 5. It says right here, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. What in the world could that possibly mean? All right, 
Have you ever gotten sunburn on half your body? You sit outside at a restaurant and, and this half of your face is in the sun and this half is protected, or you're sitting somewhere and uh, half of you is under an umbrella and the other half is, is not so much. Well, that umbrella, what that is, or that tree, or whatever it is that's giving you shade, it is protection. When the Bible talks about shade, it is talking about protection. Now, why does it say on your right hand? Again, is this only about half of my body being in the shade? Well, uh, my apologies to the left-handed people in here, but in the ancient world, your right hand symbolized strength and power. Kings and queens would have somebody sit at their right hand, and the Bible uses that imagery of sitting at the right hand in, in multiple places. What it represented was a place of status. Again, to be on the right hand is to be powerful and strong. So when this psalm says, God will shade your right hand as your keeper, what it's saying is God will protect you from damage. More specifically, he will protect that part of you that keeps you strong. All right, look, I'm not a, a gamer. I'm not a video game person. Uh, my experience of video games goes so far back, like Miss Pac-Man and Asteroids. But uh, I think that I remember in some Legend of Zelda game that I played at some point on some Nintendo, your character, uh, your little guy, he does not just die when something happens. I think in that game, um, things chip away at your strength or your power. Actually, you have these little hearts, and uh, you might start with three of them, and then as things happen to you, you you have two, and then you have one and a half, and is there anybody here who's played Zelda that knows what I'm talking about at all? Okay, uh, and, and the world is chipping away at your little guy, chipping away, and then, then you can collect new hearts and it fills back up. All right, what this verse is saying is, God will protect your power, your power meter, your strength meter, that part of you that keeps you going. Can we talk about that? Because we all know somebody, maybe you are someone who does not feel protected by God right now. This person's going through something with their health and the diagnosis is not good and maybe it's even terminal. And you might say, where's the protection, God? You promised to protect me. You're my keeper. All right, I want you to remember what this verse says. You shade, you protect my right hand. Look, someday my body will not work anymore, right? Something will get me. Cancer, a heart attack, Parkinson's, something. God does not promise to protect my physical, earthly body from death. He does promise to resurrect me and give me a new body, but he also promises with this flawed body I'm gonna have while I'm here, he will protect my strength and my power. Because you can be terminal and have strength and power. You can be in pain and have strength and power. Now how? How does God, your keeper, do that to you? Because when you give him your commitment, God will establish your thoughts, your moods. He does something in you when you give him your commitment. All right, one more from this passage, although there's probably much more here. Look at verse eight. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Now, when I think of coming and going, I think of coming in and going out. That's what I think of. I think of doors. Actually, I think of the doorway to our home. Um, the door that I use most often than not to go in and out of my house is the one that goes into our garage. Uh, we have somehow miraculously figured out a way to live with a little bit less, and we are one of those rare Bay Area families that has room to park their cars in their garage because we don't use it for storage. But what's weird about our house 
built in the 60s. What's weird about our house is that the garage door, the door leading into the garage, or if you're coming home from something, the door leading from the garage into the house. What's weird at our house, it is in the bathroom. The door to the garage is in the one downstairs bathroom that we have. Now, I don't know why the builders in our neighborhood built a lot of the homes this way. It was the 60s. Who knows what they were smoking, but they did. (laughs) And all I know is if you come home and you park in the garage, you have to be very slow to open that door into the house and make sure that you don't walk in on someone using the bathroom. You only make that mistake once. And if you use that bathroom, You have to do the math. Is everybody in our house, one, two, three, are they all in the house? Or is there somebody in the garage? Is it possible someone's doing laundry right now? Is there anyone that might come in? You only do that mistake once. Or you gotta remember to lock both doors. Okay, anyway, coming in, going out at our house is a very precarious situation. You never know what you're in for. Just using the bathroom at our house can be quite the adventure. Well, here is how this relates to this verse. Believe it or not, it it does. Sometimes what I will do, um, I have never admitted this. I'll just tell you guys right now. Uh, When two of us get home and there's a possibility that somebody's got people over and one of them might be using the bathroom, when two of us get home and we park in the garage and we're ready to go in, I will make sure that I am not the one to open that door. It's Andrea, it's one of the kids, that's what I do. I will slow down, I will find something to do in the garage, I'll have to check the trunk and make sure we got everything, anything to not be the one who has to go through that door first. Okay, when it says here that God will watch over your coming and going, what it means is God will go first. God will go before you. Think about that. Whatever doors you have in your life that you're going to be opening, whether that door is what's next at work or what's next at school or what's next in your career or what's next in your marriage or what's next with your kids, God knows what's on the other side of that door waiting for you. He knows. Good or bad, enticing, scary. And God says, as your keeper, as the one to whom you've committed, you've given over control, I will go before you. I will go before you. All right, let me take us back to the proverb that we read. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans, your thoughts, your moods. We don't have to be afraid to make these commitments because of the things that we've talked about today. God will empower you. He will not let your foot slip. You don't have to worry that you're gonna fail on your commitments because God says, when you give control over to me, I will help you keep them. And he will protect your strength even when it feels like there are parts of you falling apart. He'll protect the part that brings strength. And he goes before you. He goes through those doors first. And Crosswinds, most importantly, your keeper does not sleep. And when your mood tries to sabotage you, you know what you can do? You can go back to that thing that you predecided, that you resolved to let your commitments determine your decisions. And let God use that to take care of your mood. All right, would you stand with me? I want to close this in prayer. And, uh, I'll say this, as we get ready to pray today, maybe there is even a commitment that you need to make. Like you know it, as soon as you heard we were talking about commitments, this thing just started needling at you this morning. And if so, 
maybe this can be a moment as we pray that you speak to God about, about you needing him to do the things that he says that he is gonna do. So let's, let's pray together right now. God, we are a people who will admit that there are many things we start that we don't finish, and there are even parts of us that are afraid to start new things or commit to people, commit to you, because we're afraid we're gonna fail at it. And God, we say right now, we will give you control. We give over control to you and we pledge to you to let us be led by you, God. As we do that, will you empower us? God, will you give us the perseverance to stick our feet where they do not slip? Would you make our feet strong? And God, will you protect us by protecting the part of us that keeps us strong in you. And God, would you open the doors? Would you open the doors in front of us, walking through before and saying, the coast is clear, you can come on in. God, as you do those things, we know you will establish the moods, the moods that we commit to not letting make our decisions, instead to letting our commitments make them. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.